Greetings, my name is Lauren Kraft, and I'm the editor of EI New Energy, which is Energy Intelligence's publication on the clean energy transition. And we recently published our latest energy cost report, which covers how cost-effective various forms of electricity generation are. For renewable energy in particular, the world really knows about their benefits for the climate and air quality, but for renewables to really displace fossil fuels in a significant way, they need to be cost effective. And that's the essence of why we published this report, to do a checkup on how renewable energy costs are doing and at what pace they are falling. And today I'll be chatting with Philippe Ruse, Energy Intelligence Senior Reporter and the author of this report. Thanks for joining me today, Philippe. Thank you. Hello. And I'm glad to be here and be able to share views uh, with you on the future of energy. Great. I've worked with Philippe a long time and he has a rich, rich knowledge of these issues. Before joining us at Energy Intelligence, Philippe worked as an energy specialist and a researcher at places like the World Bank and at Credit Agricole. And Philippe, to start us off, how do we calculate our our data in a nutshell. And can you explain why this energy cost data is important for someone following the clean energy transition? Yeah, we, we calculate the so-called levelized cost of energy or LCOE, which is a break-even price for electricity delivered to the grid. This leaves aside important issues such as uh, grid connection costs or renewable backup. Uh, but our data actually is not intended at providing developers with detailed numbers for, for specific projects. It's rather to assess trends and compare technologies. What we're using is a fairly simple model based on parameters such as CapEx, OPEX, efficiency, the number of hours of operations, and so on. And of course, uh, the fuel price and carbon price were applicable. And we also have regional data for Europe, for the US, the Mideast, uh, Asia, and uh, once a year, we also do projections to 2050. Mm. And we've done these cost reports going on seven years now. Is there anything new you've seen in this most recent installment? Well, combined cycle gas turbines, uh, CCGTs, which uh, combine a gas turbine and a steam turbine, which is a very efficient combination. So these CCGTs have been the cheapest technology for years. Now, solar photovoltaic, solar PV, and onshore wind are cheaper in most parts of the world. It's actually not a surprise to whoever is following the power industry, but I think it's happening even sooner than most were expecting. Of course, it depends very much on natural gas prices, which are quite volatile, which means that low prices in the future could give, could, could give gas the lead again for some time. But... Anyway, the trend is very clear, and that's a trend of rapidly decreasing investment costs, especially for solar PV. Uh, it's interesting to see that it used to be a super expensive technology, which was used in satellites and, and stuff like that. Then about 10 years ago, it became more affordable, but it was mostly for green enthusiasts because it was still much more expensive than uh, conventional power. And now it's a <clears throat> excuse me. Now it's a, it's mainstream mainstream stuff. It's actually cheap mainstream stuff and without subsidies. Uh, and it doesn't require uh, tropical sunshine. Uh, for example, Germany is covered with PV panels. There's also a lot of PV in the UK, and those are not known as sunny countries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Now, the U.S., United States, is a bit of a different case. Why is that? Well, gas-based electricity is cheaper than anywhere else in the U.S., and that's because gas is very cheap in the U.S. The U.S. has cheap shale gas and a lot of it. Because the problem with combined cycle is the price of gas, but it accounts for about 80% of the of the cost of electricity. So if the gas is expensive, the electricity is fairly expensive. Uh, gas turbine is a remarkable machine. It's very efficient. It keeps getting more and more efficient. It's relatively cheap to build. But as I said, it needs cheap gas, cheap gas to compete. In the US, you have cheap gas. In other countries, even those who seem to have shale gas, they won't have gas as cheap as in the US for a number of reasons. So CCGT is the cheapest generating source in the US because, again, of the cheap gas. But solar PV and onshore wind follow it. It's number two and number three in the, in the ranking of the, of the cheapest technologies. Uh, and in other regions of the world where gas isn't as cheap as in the US, solar PV and onshore wind are already uh, leading on cost competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And could this picture change, for example, if gas prices fall again? Yeah, of course, as I said, uh, but it would be for a limited time because uh, investment cost trends for solar and to a lesser extent uh, for wind are clear. And it's a downward trend, even in the, in the US, you already have places where solar and wind are already cheaper than gas. For example, in the Southwest, where you have a lot of sun, or in the Midwest or West Texas, when you have a lot of wind. So in those places, solar or wind are already cheaper than, uh, than gas. Uh, and there will be a point in time when the full cost of solar electricity is cheaper than just the, co- the cost of gas or the cost of coal or the cost of oil in uh, fossil fuel fire plants. And that doesn't pay for the, for the rest of the plant, for the operating costs, for the capital costs, and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you talk, how, uh, talk about how those costs are coming down for solar? And- yeah, for solar, it's, it's been quite impressive. Impressive solar capital costs have fallen by about 65% since 2012. Uh, and that's the result of massive economies of scales because uh, PV panels as a, it's a mass manufacturing. You're making millions and millions of PV panels that, that allows mass manufacturing and that allows, therefore, the, economic, the economies of scale uh, it involves, just like in the car industry or in the computer industry where, where costs have been falling quite rapidly. Uh, and it's, expect, it's expected to continue or perhaps accelerate now that the cost parity with conventional technologies have been reached. Uh, if you take the global installed capacity for PV, it has grown for, from about 100 gigawatts in 2012 to something like 500 gigawatts now and probably 1,000 gigawatts before 2025. So in just five, six years, it's going to double again. Uh, it's a bit less spectacular for onshore wind, uh, but wind also involves many identical components, towers, blades, and so on. And it also allows some, some good economies of scales. Uh, and that also makes PV and wind farms modular, which means you can build projects of all sizes in a cost-efficient way. It doesn't have to be huge to be very cost-efficient. Uh, and if that's that's easy also to finance if you if you if you do a smaller uh, wind farm or PV farm, uh, and that's not true for highly centralized technologies such as nuclear, coal, or carbon capture and storage. 
gas is a little bit better because gas turbines are also fairly standardized, but they're still very big machines, much bigger than a, than a wind turbine or a solar panel. Mm-hmm. And what about other forms of renewable power, like geothermal or offshore wind or concentrated solar? Are they becoming more competitive as well? Well, if you take geothermal, it's a bit like hydropower. It's a it's a well-known, mature, conventional technology. And if you have a good resource and then the money to build a project, because in these things, uh, upfront up costs are rather high, then you can get cheap power. The, the, the resource issue, of course, is also true for wind and solar, but it's it's easier to get good wind or decent sunlight than, uh, than a good hydro or geothermal site. I mean, I've already mentioned the PV in Germany and the UK, which... Uh, which don't have exceptional sun, but still you can you can make fairly cheap uh, PV solar uh, power in those countries. Offshore wind is an interesting story, and, uh, and frankly, it's a surprising one, or surprising to me. Uh, it used to be very expensive, which is quite understandable, because building and maintaining something offshore, whether it's an oil platform or a wind turbine, it's, it's very expensive. Uh, but the market suddenly took off around 2015 in northwestern Europe, which means in Denmark, Germany, the UK, Belgium, the Netherlands. And since then, price have dropped by, by over 50%, uh, 40%, 40 to 50%. Uh, this has to do with taking advantage of progress made onshore, with increasing competition between developers, suppliers, and also with the increasing size of turbines. Basically, you need fewer turbines to, to get a certain capacity, which saves on construction and maintenance costs. And now we're starting to see machines with, which can generate 10 megawatts. 10 megawatts doesn't seem to be a lot if you think of large gas turbines, which, which can be of 100, 200 megawatts. Uh, but a 10, 10 megawatt wind turbine, we're talking about blades of 80 meter long, towers that are 100 meter, meters high which means that the tip of the blade is, is 200 meters or so above the sea level. So it's quite a, quite a tall structure, a uh, big machine. And, uh, and wind over the sea is stronger and more constant than, uh, than onshore. So it's, it's better than overland for power generation in most cases. Mm-hmm. And of course, battery storage is also important as well. Uh, it's an important part of this picture, right? And is that becoming more affordable? Yes, it is. The, the The problem with solar and wind, as you said, is intermittency because there's and there's no sunlight at nighttime wherever you are, whatever the season or the or the weather. Uh, power demand is quite volatile, and sunlight sunlight and wind are volatile as well. And it's two different volatilities which are which are not easy to match. And one good thing to do to, to, to deal with this intermittency is to use gas turbines. It's actually what gas producers, oil companies say, because indeed gas turbines are very flexible. You can start and stop them very quickly. So when wind or sunlight vary, you can easily make up for this with a gas turbine. You can also do it, in fact, with hydropower, which starts and stops even more rapidly than gas turbines. And if you have a so-called pumping station, it it allows you to store excess energy in the form of water pumped in a reservoir up a mountain. Uh, when, for example, there's too much wind, which sometimes happens uh, in Germany or in Denmark, system operators there can send the power to be stored in pumping stations in Norway and use it later when the wind fades. 
uh, but batteries can rea- react even faster than wind turbines and hydro turbines because because they are very fast by nature. Problem is they are still too expensive to be usable for grid management, and they probably won't ever be suitable uh, to store very large quantities of power along uh, over long periods of time, several days or weeks or even months. Uh, but experts believe they'll soon be able to play a role to manage wind and solar intermittency. Uh, in fact, it's already possible and cost-effective at final at final user level when retail electricity prices are very high, for example, in Germany, or uh, even better in California, where you have uh, expensive electricity and a lot more sun than in Germany. Uh, so it can be it can be more affordable to have uh, to have solar panels and a battery than to buy the electricity from the grid. Uh, and quite interestingly, the battery story very much depends on the car market. It depends on how the car market will, uh, how fast it will electrify, because the batteries you use in the in power generation or in the power grid are pretty much the same as uh, as the one you're use uh, you're using in cars. And the main driver of battery cost is the car market. So that's a, mm. quite an interesting re- relationship between the two markets. Yeah, we'll have to watch the link between the mm. two. Another question. Our cost data also breaks down the generating costs by different regions. And we have the U.S., Western Europe, Japan, the Mideast, and developing Asia, with uh, developing Asia mostly consisting of China and India. What trends are we seeing that are unique to those regions? Well, we've talked about the U.S. already, and the big thing in the U.S. is the cheap gas that makes a big difference. In uh, China and India, labor and manufacturing costs are cheap, which means that the power generating costs are cheap too, except perhaps for gas-based electricity, because gas is, is rather expensive in Asia, but coal is cheap in India and China, which makes coal-fired generation very cheap there. And so in cost terms, you could imagine a combination of coal and renewables as the best combination. It's not the cleanest one, but it could be the cheapest one. But it's, it also depends, of course, on policies and regulations on, uh, on climate and the environment. In the Mideast, you have a lot of sun. And uh, we have actually seen projects recently awarded for PV at very, very low prices, at around 20 to, to 30 cents per kilowatt hour, which is pretty, pretty cheap. Uh, and you actually have countries there, such as Saudi Arabia, that have announced gigantic renewable plans. Uh, the idea is that they could free significant volumes of oil and gas for export instead of burning them in the power plants. I'm not quite sure all these plans will fully materialize, but they will somehow materialize, and there are projects that are being built, and this will continue in the region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we also publish a cost report at the beginning of the year, which will be coming out around January. What sorts of trends should we be watching for, trends that the next report may shed light on? Well, as I said, solar PV will continue to be cheaper, and there's, there's no reason it, it, it would stop anytime soon. Onshore wind will also continue to be cheaper. And quite interestingly, some renewable technologies, which until very recently were considered too expensive to compete, are becoming competitive or seem to become competitive. I've mentioned offshore wind already, which some experts predict will even become cheaper than onshore wind in favorable conditions. Not because the 
the turbines will become cheaper than the onshore turbines, but because they'll be cheap enough, and as I said, offshore winds and uh, are much better than onshore winds. They're stronger and more stable, so 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 potentially it allows very cheap generation over over the ocean. On the solar side, there's concentrated solar power (CSP). Which is basically uh, which basically consists in using mirrors to boil water and run a turbine. Uh, it's also getting close, or it seems it's getting close to getting competitive in the very sunny regions where it works well, like the Midwest Gulf, the Southwest uh, deserts in the U.S., uh, the deserts in Chile, Morocco, Jordan, etc. Uh, and all this, I've already said, it's it's without subsidies, uh, and it's expected to happen for all those technologies, also whatever price is given to carbon. A, a substantial carbon price, of course, would help, uh, but the cost trend and the decrease, the drop in cost will happen even with a small or even no carbon price at all. Wow. Philippe, thank you so, so much for sharing these insights. And both of us are grateful to those who tuned in. We hope this discussion was informative. And if you'd like more information on energy intelligence and our global coverage of trends in the energy industry, you can visit us at www.energyintel.com.